So hello and welcome to what will be episode 113 of Rebel City Podcast. Um, tonight, or t- oh, tonight actually, I we're we about our comfort zone there, usually a bit <laughs> earlier done with these. Um, we're joined by Nick Williams and Stephen McLeod. Um, hi guys, nice to meet you. Hey. Um, so today we're going to be talking um, a topic that we've touched on in a few other bits and bobs in the past um, and try to delve a bit deeper, um, disinformation. Um my interest in this is well. I mean, I've I've been into politics for ages. Um, always have you know studied at uni and various bits and bobs myself. And <clears throat> the last couple of years, it seems to be something that is becoming increasingly more and more prevalent. Um, we've obviously got you know like big examples in uh, you know sort of like Trump and Cambridge Analytica, which we'll get into um, later. Things like QAnon, and it's becoming part of like the discourse. So I think like you know I might have been in a position where we can talk to our audience about how they spot it because we're all getting exposed to it. You know, how maybe down the line we can look to address these things on a sort of wider scale and we know absolutely nothing about any of that type of stuff. So it's always better to, like, you know, get a guy in, or two in this case, <laughs> you know what I mean? When um, do they arrive? There's, <laughs> there's never a bigger, more insult than when your missus says to you, we should get a man in. Like, oh, right, okay. um, so, guys, it's nice to meet you. Thanks very much for coming in. Um... I don't know if she's, you know, we'll do the whole like run the table nonsense where if you might just take a minute just to introduce yourselves. Oh, yes, yeah, so I'm Nick. Um, I'm the Journalist Protection Advisor for the Coalition for Women in Journalism. I'm also a reader director at The Ferret, which is an online investigative journalism platform based in Scotland. Um, and I've done a lot of work on journalist protection work across Europe and broader free speech, free expression work here in Scotland. Uh, that's how I met uh, this reprobate, Stephen. <laughs> Uh, looking at sort of hate speech legislation and how hate speech can operate within freedom of expression parameters. Okay, interesting. I just got you in when we were talking about the Offensive Behaviour Act a couple of years ago then, with the looks at mm-hmm. Oh, that, that shit's fucking brutal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Stephen, I'm a lawyer from Glasgow. You can tell by the accent, maybe. Although he's from Glasgow now, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't tell with my thick, uh, thick brogue. That's no. how we actually met in Brussels, and it was weird because he was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm here from uh, you know Scottish pen." I was like, "That's weird. <laughs> I should know who you are." Um, but I'm a lawyer from Glasgow. Uh, I specialise in kind of freedom of expression and online stuff. Mm-hmm. I work for a couple of companies who shall remain nameless for of now, mm-hmm. uh, in case they listen. Um, but I also lecture in IT law at uh, Strathclyde Uni, uh, okay. particularly e-commerce law and kind of content moderation and that sort of stuff. Outstanding. So, in terms of like sort of disinformation, where is where is what what is you was I don't know, what I say about it to get it started like. But what is it? You know, I, I think that'd be a good thing. Like, what is disinformation? I, get, I watched a couple of lectures and stuff uh, in the build up to this, and I every single one of them used the analogy that you know it was essentially a term coined by Stalin that seems to be like fact <laughs> number one even though obviously it's something that goes sort of way beyond that so um, well, that's fair, blame Stalin, uh, well I mean like, you're not going to go far wrong with that yeah. a lot of the time you know what I mean so you know we don't we don't need the Stalin fact but I I think for definitional work we should pass on to the lawyer actually. Uh, <laughs> aye, very good 
Um, I think that's kind of the biggest question about all of this, is like, what do you mean by disinformation? Because there's disinformation, there's misinformation, there's fake news, which has kind of gone out of popularity. But mm-hmm. that, that was kind of the, the term that kicked off this, you know, interest in things. Mm-hmm. And at first, interestingly enough, it came about when Trump won, and it was being used by opponents of Trump, saying that Trump won the election, helped by the proliferation of fake news. All right. And there was lots of discussions in uh, Silicon Valley at that point about, you know, how do we combat fake news? Because if it's going to help, you know, extremists such as Trump win, then what can we do about it? And one of my arguments at the time was the problem with a term like that that you don't define or can't define Mm -hmm. is that everybody uses their own meanings of that term. And it leaves it open to someone to come and co-opt it, Mm -hmm. which... Surprise, surprise, Trump did. Yeah. Within two weeks, thank God, because yeah. if it had gone on longer, then I wouldn't have been quite as... Um, kind of a genius move, proofing. really, isn't it? To oh, use it what's been sort of the shit that's been slung at you, you just sort of like grab it and then throw it straight back. Aye. It's like a classic tactic, I'm Yeah, exactly. And so now fake news has kind of fallen out of popularity because of that, but instead we use uh, misinformation, disinformation. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's any question about that, that is my... You know, the first thing is, def- I mean, that is an academic thing. Define your terms. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? We're talking about Nigel Farage and his posters of Turkish immigrants. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about, you know, the big bus with the NHS? Yep. Uh, you know, promise of funds and Brexit, etc. And I think that's kind of the biggest question, you mm-hmm. know. Because um, I think all too often we associate it with that stuff or we associate it with kind of conspiracy theories, but it's a much wider question, which goes into even things like, your granny posting something, you know, on Facebook that she read that might not be all out, like, corrupt news or, you know, propaganda type stuff, Mm -hmm. but could be viewed uh, in an alternative way. Yeah, spreading, like, this, and I think, like, in mere extreme society should probably be punished quite badly for for that, but... um, So there's, it seems like there's innocent mis- and disinformation and there's, like, sort of the more sinister, deliberate... Like you're talking like propaganda. Well, because that's the definition. I one of the definitions I'd heard is like misinformation is like the granny who or my, like parents who have shared stuff not knowing it's false, mm-hmm. um, but propagating it. Um, and then there's disinformation, which is far more motivated by skewing mm-hmm. discourse or ta- targeting certain groups or yeah. things like that as well. I mean, that's a that's a definition. <coughs> I would argue that fake news hasn't necessarily gone out of fashion maybe mm. in the common vernacular but the, the, the real problem we we see in journalism is it, it it's being recycled as a term to target journalists yeah and you're seeing it in 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 like um laws i think it's the philippines uh singapore venezuela russia have they've taken for example next dg which is quite surprising because they're all quite liberal countries yeah <laughs> <laughs> but this is the problem so you have Ger- germany's uh designed next dg to target hate speech so the idea being that so- social media platforms had were compelled within 24 hours to take down hate speech once they received a um a complaint um and it's still in force they're, they're reforming it's They've been going through a series of reforms i don't know what the reforms will look like yeah um it was one of the leading policies of its type um you've had other countries like well the european union more broadly have been looking at it i know the uk has sort of looked at variants of it as well and this is the problem when you have progressive multi-party democracies like germany bringing forward laws like this you have you have countries with 
far weaker rule of law, far weaker democracies and far weaker respect for human rights. Looking at it and co-opting it and taking it, pulling out what uh, strong, uh, what safeguards there are, there were. Same thing happened in the UK. UK passed the Investigative Powers Act, the most, I would say, one of the most ambitious surveillance reforms seen in modern society. And mm-hmm. the first two countries to comment on it were China and Russia. Again, two countries you don't really want to be on your side when you're talking about surveillance. No. Mm-hmm. And so we're now looking at Next DG being co-opted by states that are. Yeah, I mean, generally very, very weak democratic principles. And you have this law has been, it's incredibly powerful. But the fir- one of the first people to fall foul of NetsGG I love was the Minister of Justice who brought it forward, Heiko Mass, uh, fell, fell victim to his own law because he had his post removed for calling a, what I think was a racist or at least an anti-immigration campaigner, an idiot. And he fell foul of NetsDG. A pro-refugee uh, NGO was satirizing far right, yep. posting to show what sort of messaging they use. They fell foul of it, um, as well as AFD um, politicians have as well. So and essentially, things, what they invented to protect them is now being used to beat them back. Yeah, yeah, and it's the problem with this sort of this ambitious um, legislation around online platforms and online spaces. Um, and it's going to get even worse when it gets far more automated as well. And that's mm-hmm. a whole other thing that will get it a lot more confusing yeah. as well. So we need to see how these... And some of these countries explicitly call either fake news or false news or false... You know, they, they, they may skew it, but it's, it's the, the root is in the same sort of source material. Yeah. And I mean, my definition of fake news really has nothing to do with falsehood or it's, it's sort of... It's, com- it's information or content that threatens consolidated power mm-hmm. i think that for me is a fake news definition that i think still holds it has nothing to do with falsehood and it has nothing to do it has nothing that i think is requiring any sort of legislative yeah. enforcement from a functional democracy mm-hmm. i mean we were joking and the the we sort of build up to this and one of them that one of the things that had become obvious to me was that anybody who has any sort of learning on this absolutely despises the term fake news. Yeah, and the conclusion we came to was just, oh, it's got to be that everybody just hates Trump. <coughs> but now, having had two totally different definitions yeah. for years, I'm more inclined to think it's just because it means basically nothing on its own without your own sort of context. Yeah, but saying that, I was I just came out of St George's Cross subway station and there was an ad for some sort of hoodie or something. And this, the, the not the, not on the clothes, but the tagline was "This isn't this isn't fake news." Then the, the jumper name and how much it was. And I was like, I should have taken a photo because it was really <laughs> fucking appropriate for where I was walking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I don't think that ad person is really up on it. Um, there are uh, sort of contemporary terms that would really sort of flog your your shit. I, mean. uh, I think the the problem is that people see things that they disagree with or that they feel are causing them mm-hmm. you know personal strife whether it's like removed from them or politically or whatever and they want something to be done about it and one of the catch-all kind of things is you know fake news misinformation disinformation someone has to do something about that mm-hmm. and often it'll be people <laughs> who are in position not pointing at you by the way but <laughs> you know people gesticulating wildly but People in positions in government or people in, you know, who haven't, they've come to that point, but they haven't, like, defined what the disinformation or misinformation is. So it's, like, yeah. jump to stage, like, three rather than addressing, well, okay. what are the actual, um, I mean, even if you look at the, 
the online harms bill, the UK online harms bill, uh, there's categories of like well defined, which there's some in there are, are dubious, but then there's, <laughs> uh, I can't remember what phrase to use, but something like don't have a clear definition and it's disinformation. And this is still stuff that's been included within the online harms bill. And so they don't even have a definition of the kind. So they're of trying to legislate against something that they can't define. I and the actual bills they can't define. Right. That is. Aye. So you can you can see why, well very much so because you can see why it could just be like you're saying co-opted and manipulated to do whatever they want yeah. to, to do rather yeah. than it to be to stop what people would probably think is like online abuse and you know like trolling and all these things that are big issues on the internet but it seems so vague that it could be used in any sort of circumstance yeah. like and there's saying. also there's so many different parameters you don't you don't handle a family member sharing something they think is real, but it's not the same way you do a foreign foreign country who's flooding your, you know, airwaves or whatever with mm-hmm. targeted. They're very, very different responses. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, you know, far more heavily based on like literacy and how you interpret news, and also engaging that we all we all do it as well. Like, if you have an issue where it's already complicated, it's already hard to define, it's already very emotionally charged. You will. I've done it, re- and then hung to delete it when on like a family WhatsApp group. Something that seems on the first smell seems true, then you realise actually it's it's not. It's uh, and you and you know that's not yes. malicious activity. Yeah. Um. It, you know, there's ways that we we do need to you know ensure people do share or do mm-hmm. propagate stuff that is authentic, but you don't do that through legislation. And legislation can't. I don't think legislation is well placed, especially legislation passed by our <coughs> current. Yeah. Government, where these things are so comp- comp- so complicated, as well. yeah. but at the same time, do we even want to really fix definition on this as well? That's the other thing. Like we can't define it because they're not even willing to do the legwork to define it. But at the same time, how do we define it? I think that's the other side of the coin that mm-hmm. is harder for us to. I think one of the out. things in terms of like in the build up to this and doing a wee bit of research myself that um, the term disinformation was and you know. Covered, did cover definitions of misinformation and various other aspects of it. Um, but disinformation, for me, the, the conclusion I came to was that something that is intended for a specific purpose, but also kind of has like an element of the truth to it. And I think you were just touching on that there, where it's not always as easy as like, you know, when Granny's sharing Britain first posts and you're like, come on, they're fascists, let's stop that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, what concerns me about it all, and this is where we might have this conversation, is that our day in history and things through the years, when I hear the term disinformation, I'm taken back to like a secondary school history class where they're talking about dropping leaflets or, you know, trenches in World War One about what your wives are doing while you're stuck in a trench and all that. Was, my understanding it's always been very sort of militaristic. That it was Like a, having a, the BBC on board a, a naval ship? As they did last week, with right. the, where they went through the Crimean Sea, and it was like it just so happened that the BBC had a reporter on while they were doing it, and it's this whole state-based propaganda war against Russia and their, you know, occupation or annexation of Crimea. Yeah, I and, completely missed that. But none of the statute, none of the statutory stuff addresses any of this, and that's why I'm kind of flipping it about definitions because internationally there's definitions. You know, people use them. Differently, they won't mean the legal definition in their jurisdiction, even yeah. if they know what it is. And then we have, you know, we I briefly mentioned the kind of 
promises about the NHS money. Mm-hmm. None yeah. of that stuff is really addressed in the focus on misinformation. It's mm-hmm. more about yeah. people saying, you know, you shouldn't wear a mask or, you know. Uh, and I think that's my big concern is we don't see the same focus on the big stuff that yeah. actually matters. So it's like the, the stuff that kind of matters because that's what I was thinking earlier when you were saying about like the Brexit stuff and the misinformation and or like the, the, the side of the bus and, you know, like Farage and his big billboard that's famous. That's the stuff that you kind of want the truth on. Some, your cousin sharing, you know, COVID denial stuff, that's kind of easily dealt with, you know. It's got our... Like you're saying, it's ignorance, it's no malicious. People are thinking these things are actually built to get an emotional response, and then they get an emotional response, and mm-hmm. everybody starts arguing about yep. you know, like that's the type of stuff that you can kind of deal with on an individual basis. But it's the big stuff, and when the BBC are so closely involved with the government, it's hard for you not to think that they're just basically a propaganda machine. And I think that's why Trump's message was so powerful because the amount of truth that was in it was shocking. Like, well, I don't know whether, you know, it's, I don't know whether it's, it's truth. I mean, I, I have I have huge issues, you know, like I would say like um, there's, there's elements of, of management in BBC that has that has problematic and obviously it's been slowly captured by different sort of mechanisms. And we have uh, M, uh, we have ministers and um, who have talked about bringing BBC closer towards government as well as selling off Channel 4, you know, so we have. So a lot of this is the, the the background to this is also the 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 hollowing out of independent either state and non-state entities. We have the hollowing out of of entities like the BBC, but we also have the defunding. Well, not the defunding, but the the failing uh, financial stability of independent newspapers as mm-hmm. well. Um, we also have, I mean, things like the 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 it's sort of like why things on the online safety bill, things like that, and any legislation around. Um, Disinformation. You know, if we had, for example, so the 350 million on, on the side of the bus, if we had a far more muscular elections regulator, um, yeah. we wouldn't need this behemoth of this tentacled beast that would be any form of disinformation legislation. We would have, we would be able to, but I think also, say we sub- subconsciously, we've also internalized and to be fair, had loads of evidence to to feed it that politicians are in inherently distrustful i don't mm. believe it as a whole like there there's unfortunately way too many evidence um too much evidence of individual yeah but then so when you have that it's almost like well they, they already think we are that so why not yeah. lean into it and mm-hmm. because we expect um, politicians to lie when we see that we hive that off from this conversation about mm-hmm disinformation and then actually what that does it enables the state or uh facebook people like that to actually define the terms and as soon as they define the terms the fight is sort of halfway lost as well Mm -hmm. i think the truth that i was alluding to there is more that you know you could go and pick 10 big stories and just show how one side gives one narrative and another side gives another so they're lying to you and then people take two and two and come up with a billion, you know, and, and we've seen that very recently oh, well, how people's distrust and you can quite easily go and find these examples and go, well, look here. And then people can, you know, the amount of times that I've seen, well, politicians are lying to you, look at this example and it's like, well, what, like, that's how I would combat it. Well, what politician are you referring to? Yeah, yeah. And like, can we be specific? Because I've sat across the table for many of them, interviewing them and 
they're lovely people. So yeah. who are we speaking about and what are we speaking about? So I think when I was saying that there's a truth to what Trump was saying with the sort of fake news sort of thing is that you can quite easily go and show where, you know, Fox have backed the right and, you know, NBC yeah. have backed the left, no yeah. matter what they've done. And stuff that Trump did in government is so wholesale out of order. But when you look at it, they've all been doing it for like, you know, he's just perpetuating the same shit. It's just that one side has an exception with him or like who he is and, and, and that type of thing. That's what I was meaning by, that's how they convince people is, is that they go, well, look at this and you go, well, if they lied about that, surely they must be lying about this. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily, you know, and that's yeah. how conspiracy theories are being really pushed Off, onto people, I, you know. Some absolute nonsense. But it's also as well, you know, we have a country with that where basically most of, say for example, the newspapers are owned by four companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, this is like where, where legislation around disinformation won't get you anywhere, but better media regulation, more and a more pluralist media environment, um, far more, you know, a, a healthier dynamic. So you have local newspapers that aren't all owned by the same company. Yeah. You have more um, independent outlets, you have sustainable funding models. A lot of that will diverse, diversify the sources of information. And there would it also chip away at this narrative of all newspapers are in certain politicians' pockets. Yeah, like yeah. That. So these are these are all things that I think because everything that we're looking at, whether it's things like NetsDG or any automated fake news filters or algorithmic capturing of whatever, is just catching the symptoms, not the actual cause. And the yeah. actual cause is a hollowing out of public trust in institutions. Yeah. No media and information literacy put forward in any curriculum that we're really seeing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the sort of homogenization of the media environment. And all this stuff can be tackled, but it won't be tackled by just looking at disinformation, misinformation, propaganda, mm -hmm. or fake news, or whatever. But then I think yeah. that's maybe largely the the goal of the, the disinformation that we're talking about is to create that instability and hollow out because again not to go back to the you know the, the Stalin example but you know a lot of these things that I was reading and, and watching in the build up to this uh, talk about that deliberate sort of state of flux and um, you know the it creates so much noise and this is where my concern is, is because as I say I, I initially think about it in very militaristic terms but I believe now that all over the world, politicians are weaponizing this to create levels of instability that are actually now really starting to impact other people's lives. And we do frame it in very like, oh, Russia and China and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's not just happening here, it's happened here. Like, I think um, in some of the notes I sent over here, like, I briefly touched on like Cambridge Analytica and obviously, you know, the vote leave and these types of things. And like, <clears throat> in that instance, for anybody that doesn't know, the basic gist was that the data that you have on places like Facebook and you know other social media was harvested to target very specific people and very specific demographics on very specific issues that they thought would act as wedges that would increase the vote. Now, if any other country in the world had done that to the British population, we would probably be calling it an act of psychological warfare. But at the moment, a, a huge swathe of the people that are involved in that process well, one of them is the Prime Minister, you know what I mean, and the rest are his cronies. So there has been no, I mean, there was reactions, there was, you know, obviously the press were all over it, there was, I'm sure there was inquiries and hearings or maybe they'll start to happen, but at the same time, the end result was that 
I don't remember anybody going to prison. I don't mm. remember anybody. Maybe some like election fines where, you know, the, you break election rules and you get like a seventy grand slap on the wrist. Yeah. But you've got like whatever five million pounds in donations for like Russian oligarchs. You know what I mean? Mm. Like so, like I think more than ever, we need to approach it from the point of view where people need to know that this is happening, how to you know deal with it and stuff like that. So, like, I mean. What, how did we get to a point where such a flagrant, like, just attack on us was was allowed to just sort of come to pass? Is wow. that is that too big a question? That's, that is, that's Sorry. I think that's the, the question, I think. Stephen? Oh, thanks, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the how, the, the obvious answer to that is that these companies, <laughs> I should say, certain companies... Trafficking data, that's the whole thing. And the mass collection of user data without adequate privacy standards across the globe is what resulted in the ability to target people in a very, very specific manner. Mm -hmm. And like you were alluding to the fact that, I mean, the the Brexit vote was basically a trial run for the 2016 election in America. (laughs) It's the same company that did it and they used the exact same tactics based on what they'd learned in the UK. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they targeted, you know, rich white areas with very blatant ads about Hillary will come and then black people will, you know, come in, move into your area and commit violence against your children. Like, really, like, blunt, you know, not, like, things we would never expect to see in Facebook. This is not nuanced. That was not nuanced, was it? No, it was extremely... And so how it happened (coughs) in terms of how it was able to happen is that. And now Facebook have, as a result... Um, limited the gradation of which you can target people. I mean, I used to be able to go on and, you know, target, like... So you can still target people, you just just slightly less. And of course, (laughs) course that's, like... I don't want to question Facebook's ethics or anything, but there is... I don't think I ever hear Stephen say that. Just because we can't target people to that level, I mean, none of this stuff was being done, you know, in an ethical fashion in the first place. Mm That doesn't mean that those who are much larger advertisers don't have access to much more, you know. I mean, they do. They've all got their farms of, mm. you know, data that yeah. they tap into. Mm-hmm. And just because you don't... Um, the kind of big misconception is that, you know, if the each individual thing is what tracks you, so YouTube won't know if you're on this site or whatever. But the, there's companies that essentially take all of that data and infer who you are based mm-hmm. on completely random sources of, you know, yeah. you could visit one site, not be logged into Facebook or whatever else, but it'll collate it. And there's obviously restrictions around that, but in reality it's quite easy to do mm-hmm. if you've got a global view on the internet and what mm-hmm. people are doing. So uh, that's this status. That's how we it was able to happen mm-hmm. in a yeah. technical sense. But I think even before that as well, though, we, we've had this, it, you know, the ho- again, it's the Halloween, you know, think, even like watchdogs, we, we, we've, re- there's been very little enforcement power when, when uh, disinformation has been embedded within the state or influential actors as well. And things like, you know, I mean, was it this, I can't remember which tabloid it was, and I won't say it just in case I'm wrong. Um, the headline was is a, a proportion of M- British Muslims had sympathies for, um, Al Qaeda or yeah, like the Taliban at the time. Yeah, or I can't remember. Yeah. It was, and it was flagrant. It was flagrant falsehood. It was proved. It was shown to be a falsehood. Then, but the correction was 
like that big yeah. in page three. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so no one reads that. And and then you get to this, and you do, you, it's the same thing with the fines that have been meted out against Facebook. It becomes a, a question of the amount of money the company will receive from selling that yeah. will vastly outweigh the fine that they would receive. Yeah. Um, and so we need to say, like, if there are falsehoods like this, you know, my opinion is if, if, you, if your front page, if your headline is a falsehood, the correction should be the exact same position, yep. font size, thing. It'll never happen. Would it sell papers though? You no, know, like sorry, uh, we were wrong. Yeah, you, you know, like no, because no one reads the correction except for the people who already know it. Yeah. Yeah. Or already know it. It's, uh -huh. it's it's false. It's vindicating for for people to go and see. Look, yeah. I was right. Yeah, but people are just exactly. Past so it. and we uh -huh. and so the, all of these different things, and then we have you know, you know the MP ex the expense scandal. Yep. What, 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 10 years ago? 12, 14 years ago? When, whenever that was. And that ballpark, like definitely. So it was 2009? Uh, no, well, Cameron got in in 2010, and I think it was a year after he right. got in. So yeah. they were talking like 2011, 2012, yeah. something like that. And, so, you know, so we've had ago. all of these things that have just chipped away at the public sort of trust in the sort of democracy as seen through Parliament, because Parliament isn't itself democracy. Democracy is far bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And then, so, when you have so much low levels of public trust then you can sort of lean into it a little bit to mm -hmm. your to your to your ends and then you have these relationships with donors again we have very um lax um election financing like and, and open democracy and Pierre gagan's done a lot of work on that um and obviously a lot of other journalists um so all this sort of stuff just fills this this gap where enforcement yeah. and oversight should sit and then again that also contributes to disconnect again Definitely. Um, and then that system just keeps rebuilding itself. And then it gets to the point, I mean, I find it, someone who sort of is interested in this topic, just being like, just so <laughs> defeated. And you see all this sort of stuff and you're just like, oh, grand. But I think that that's a really important point because the focus when we think about this stuff is often on the internet. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's like in the government's best interest to say, you know, tech companies need to fix this problem they've created. But the problem, you know, of... A uh, relative who only reads a certain newspaper, so always thinks certain things about yeah, certain. Absolutely, has always existed. With the sun out in eighties, claiming to have won an election, so just yep. th this type of bullshit has just been happening all the time. It's just that now it's on the internet. Yep. Now we've got Netflix making documentaries about it. People like, but I think like to go back to what you're saying about being disheartened. What are we doing with all this extra information? We don't seem to be able to do anything with it. We're outraged that the MPs of you know spending two hundred and fifty grand on a fucking kitchen or whatever it was that they did. But what have we done about it? We've done I absolutely nothing, and we've voted the same people back in. It's almost like I'm with you on that, but it's like do I need to like completely disconnect myself for this because putting my focus and energy into it does nothing but make me just go. It's fucking Aye. pointless. Your social media that, presence know? would be significantly better if I could deal with the daily like culture war that is just thrown at us. I think yeah. um, uh, that's exactly. <clears throat> I think, and I think one of the kind of pre-conversation notes was about like, what do you do? And I, I think recently I found myself quite disheartened in a way because I feel I've always been politically engaged, mm -hmm. but I don't. I'm now at the point where I don't get involved online anymore at all, and even in real life, quote unquote. I find myself completely like I have a sphere of influence and I engage in that. But it, it becomes really clear, especially over the pandemic, that we move. You know, we used to talk about the 24 hour news cycle, but now it's literally six hours on Twitter, if that, 
constant every day there's something else we have to yep. be outraged about or that people are outraged about mm-hmm. and if I, d- I honestly can't understand how people can have that level of energy and like to remain engaged whatever your position is i don't know it's frenzy i think it's mania and i think you know the, what I mean, what? part of the way to reclaim it is to find i mean the way i use the internet now is very different and i use it for i have stuff at work that i do and then i do make music or something and mm-hmm. i go to forums where people talk about music i don't and well i say that i have a whiskey and then I remember actively as days gone by where I would have like political discussions but then I realised at a point it became quite cyclical because it became the yearly chat about poppies and then the yearly chat about whatever and the yearly chat about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and it has that cycle has compressed down oh, yeah. into like as you say like several times a day now uh, and i get why it's exhausting because yeah. it exhausts me and but i think it's, it's meant also, to it's also yeah. the, but what i find worrying though is that you know there are people who who can't afford to be able to take that you know whether it's mm-hmm. like refugee mm-hmm. communities uh, trans community you know where it is to be present is to actually sort of defend your yeah your your protection under law your existence in this country or mm-hmm. and that's a really hard thing as well. Like, you know, for example, in my pre- like work um, with the coalition, you know, you look at, you know, a lot of far too many journalists have to get barrages of like on, on online abuse. I mean, it is yeah. horrific. Um, like Patricia Devlin, a, a journalist in Northern Ireland, um, she had her infant son threatened with rape online. Oh. By someone who signed off as Combat 18, which is a neo-Nazi yeah. movement. Um, mm mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Mariana Spring, the dis- disinformation uh, journalist for the BBC, who's been likened to a paedophile, a Nazi propagandist, um, you know, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they're, they're told, and it does disproportionately affect women and journalists of colour. Absolutely. And when they sort of talk about this, they say, well, just step away. Well, journalists, especially now, can't step away. That's part of their responsibility and part mm-hmm. of their role. You know, journalists like, I would say, Patricia Devlin and Mariana have been very good about documenting it mm-hmm. the real problem that we find is that the atmosphere is so toxic against journalists people internalize it so you, you say so they expect abuse with their job it's normalized so they don't even acknowledge it as a threat anymore yeah and that means you can't monitor it you don't know what's out there because they don't really accept it as a threat so they don't report it to either their employer or watchdogs yeah. and yeah. things like that um and again so by them speaking out, it, I would say is a very powerful thing, but it then, without any sort of protection mechanisms, mm-hmm. it's not there. I mean, Patricia Devon's case, the police service in Northern Ireland, there's ridiculously compelling evidence they know who, who the person behind it is, and they've never even been questioned. Wow. Um, and Why? Because, I mean, there's, I mean be fair, that's far more complex yeah. conversation regarding sort of organized crime sectarianism and, and the links P- to each other and the psni um so it's basically corruption i don't know whether it's corruption it could be in corruption it could be incompetence it could be right. this sort of combination of everything or, yeah or, or, or the sort of or police always like to sort of suggest there's this gray area yeah. around online mm. threat i mean threats of sexual violence against a child against a journalist who's already vulnerable for her reporting and sectarian issues i would say there's at least worth um, yeah. There is an escalation that I would say I, in, in that context. I had an interesting, conversation at least. An interesting yeah. situation pop up on uh, 
my socials yesterday and the girl's uh, works for the BBC, funnily enough, but she's not a journalist. She does like production for BBC Social and she's got a stalker that has like faked her nudes and put them all over like Reddit and stuff and she's found them and she went to the police and the guy went, well, they're not real. Mm. So why are you upset? Yeah. And she's like, well, his colour matched my skin and he's mm. took real pictures of me and all he's done is remove the clothes and it's very, she's like, I mean, it's so realistic that my boyfriend couldn't even tell the difference yeah. like when he was looking at them. So <laughs> what the police attitude towards that is like, well, he was almost like, it's a joke. Yeah. That's a joke that you want to make a police complaint about somebody yeah. doing that. She's like, well, I've got this in place and, and whatever. She's clearly had years of history with this guy. But then, like we're talking about, there's no protection for her in this weird online and with deep fakes coming over the hill that are so yeah. hard to distinguish. Like, we really need to get a grip of this. Don't, otherwise, it will just, I feel like, just get out, out of absolute control. Aye. Yeah. yeah. I also don't think how, oh, it's not real is really a defense in that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not, even if it's obviously not real, that doesn't make it any less sinister. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or that, upsetting for the individual. Yeah, exactly. Have to, yeah. That's, that side of it. And I will say, like, BBC, I mean, I've seen it through, so Noz in Netherlands is a is the public broadcaster in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And they've had a lot of um, journalists there have had so much abuse, generally around, like, anti-lockdown protests, but a lot of other, uh, like, right-wing, far-right-wing. They've had to remove all logos from their vans when they're travelling around to record stuff because the vans just... Get attacked. Yeah, and, and a guy came in, um, well, he, he, he created this video saying that this is also where fake news comes in. They create this video saying that Noz is just fake news. Mm -hmm. That in itself, maybe, you know, five <laughs> years before that, he, he had stormed one of their buildings and demanded to be put on air. Um, and, you know, and I'm luckily he didn't and they were able to get him out. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some study, there's a study done in, in Australia that said, again, the journalists that were most targeted um, by allegations of fake news was ABC, the Australian mm -hmm. public broadcast. There, there is also this, this nexus around public service broadcasting that really, really drives a lot of like a lot of sort of vitriol as well. So essentially mm -hmm. being the primary broadcaster in the country is making them yeah. merely a target as yeah, a result so like, of this. And, and for them, you know, genuine mistakes, which every employer, every employee makes, is then suddenly automatically propaganda, every editorial choice. Yeah. Um, you see, that's that quite a lot. Wrong. I mean, even in the Yes movement in Scotland, you see quite a lot of this, where they're, they're saying that the weather maps deliberately put an angle to minimise the yeah. landmass in Scotland compared <laughs> to England. And yeah. that's my response to that, is that that feels like, yeah. even if somebody's thinking on that level, it's like, what difference does it fucking yeah. make? And it also you know? covers, it also then gives cover for not genuine conversations about flaws in coverage, yeah. mm. genuine issues that need to be addressed. You know, I'm, I've worked for the last four or five years on journalist protection free expression, you know, and that's not to call out when there have been bad decisions made. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you have this atmosphere where everything is either propaganda or bad faith, you can't have genuine conversations about yeah. what needs to actually be looked at. I think How in terms of, improve? we were talking about, about cut the, um, the, the groups that need to like step out and, and defend themselves and, and you know, find themselves in these situations you touched on uh, like the trans community and i think similar to what you were saying where brexit was almost like a, a sort of dry run for the 2016 election i feel like some of the disinformation and some of the the online um just you know hellhole and nonsense that we're talking about here um is being utilized in the uk against trans people and what is 
probably starting to feel like a very similar way it's now been rolled out in America where there's representatives who are very like anti-trans and you know it's almost as if this is now the next sort of wedge that is being sort of propelled um is that your experience and because i know obviously you've represent lgbtqi and some of your work yeah yeah i have i mean i i'm not particularly keen to talk about it and for it to be on the air to be honest okay. just because that it's I'm not trans myself, so I wouldn't want to speak okay. on behalf of. No problem. Um, but you know, you, you are seeing. You know, there has been, but there's also so many wedges we're seeing as well. Though mm -hmm. I mean, it is obviously. I mean, this is you know, trans issue is definitely something. People like protections of trans people in law, you know, and uh, um, you know, gender um, recognition reform, and and but also things like how we visualize British history, how we uh, incorporate our complicity to the slave trade, colonialism. How that's incorporated within within Britain, what use of things like statues, how is like you know all this sort of stuff, um, are all these sort of these these wedges that are being used to I would say push not not push the narrative that sounds too conspiracy theorist, but to supercharge public discourse in ways that benefits certain policy decisions yeah. um, and to obscure other policy decisions. You know, it's very handy to demonise Black Lives Matter protests or Extinction Rebellion protests when you're looking at the, uh, was it Police Crime uh, yeah. Sentencing Courts Bill, which is looking at demonising um, and making it very hard to peaceful protests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That that it, We're only getting to where we're getting to on that because they have demonised protest movements. So, I mean, we seem to be touching on a number of bits of various other legislation that seem to be sort of tangentially linked in it almost feels to me as though the disinformation we're talking about here is a, a tool that has been used to or utilised to push other things like various other bits and pieces of legislation or um, I mean we've touched on the fact of how difficult it is to legislate especially across jurisdictions with these things like oh. is there is there like an answer do we have a, a legal recourse that or a, are a framework that can be applied on a sort of global scale, or is it going to be up to each country to work this out for themselves and hope that there's some sort of best practice in the mix? I think just before we got into that, like I think the discussion there demonstrates how complex the whole thing is because, like, you're quite quite right to say you know certain people their existence online is a political kind of statement, or you know it becomes a political uh, issue, and when I was thinking about it there, it was literally just the way you interact with the constant flux of information. But obviously, that then bleeds over into questions of hate speech and hate crime and, mm -hmm. and those things, which if you're, you know, as a privileged position to be able to, you know, it's things that are important to me, but I, you know, I can go on Reddit without worrying about, you know, being called yeah. a slur or whatever. And that's where it gets much more difficult because even when you're, involved in the field it can be the the amount of crossover between everything begins to muddy the waters a bit mm -hmm. and i think when you're asking about is there a framework i think no there's no <laughs> this is the biggest question of like internet governance and about these prevailing issues they're not new as we discussed yeah. but they're being amplified and so for example to give you uh, um earlier on on twitter there was a discussion going on, and there's two kind of, uh, it's Glasgow local, somebody's coming on and saying, well, Glasgow's a dump now, what happened? You know, there's rubbish everywhere. 
And you get lots of people going, aye, Glasgow is a dump. And behind that, there might be anti-SMP films, it might be, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But everyone sees one vector in, you know, however many characters Twitter is now, can't you mind? 248, 124? 256, whatever it is. From 240, I think. A small amount, right? So they see that vector and they jump on. But at the same time, we've got a conversation going on about the same kind of area and Govan Hill about it becoming gentrified. And you're like, you know, everybody else is jumping on that, going, ah, it's gentrified. You know, it's 270 for a cup of coffee and all that stuff. And these two things are not mutually exclusive. They are, they can both be true. Yeah. But because people see that bit, if you, there's no kind of crossover there. And if you go in and try and say... It's going to be hard to be a gentrified shit of a one thought. Aye. But, <laughs> I mean, but it could be. But that's the, that's the kind of, you know, the problem even within that. And so to have uh, macro issues like that regulated, at, even at tech company level, mm. is like, you know, I don't, I don't see any way that legislate there's no global legislative mm. body yeah there are certain categories of content that are universally considered to be yeah. beyond the pale yeah and even if there aren't uh, local jurisdictional things um there are you know there are I, there's a common understanding that that content for example child sexual abuse of material course. and so the actual specifics of the law don't matter but when it comes down to everything else there's no you know, there's basically Europe, the US, and then everywhere else is doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even within Europe, we've got the um, Digital Services Act coming up. Yep. Um, sorry, digital. I've literally been working on this all week. <laughs> digital <laughs> Services Act. But the problem is because it's uh, because of the kind of European legislation it is, each member state will have their own implementation of that. Mm-hmm. So even within Europe, if you want to comply with those. <laughs> rules or those individual factors i mean the only companies that can do that are facebook and google and so how i don't know what the answer is to that but what i would say is that the the continuing fracture fracturing of uh, sorry of statutory obligations doesn't make the internet a better place right because each country says well we don't want this but we don't want this kind of thing in this very specific way and it doesn't actually solve the problem, right. especially when you've got the vast majority of companies who run the services we rely on are not Facebook and Google and do not have, you know, tens of billions of yeah. resources. And we so. have even even we have we have candidate countries to the EU that don't even ident- don't even acknowledge the existence of genocides that have happened within the European continent. Okay. We have you are EU members who um, passed law to stop conversation about complicity in the Holocaust. You know, so even these foundational issues where we would think, you know, they're, yeah. you know, a certain sort of shared baseline, mm-hmm. we don't have. So, you know, even how would you then, sp- how would you talk about disinformation, for example, around things like the Armenian genocide? Yeah. When we have very powerful, influential states you just don't even acknowledge that it's even happened. Uh, and then how then can you build a build a legislative basis uh-huh. that can ensure so this, the one, sort of this is the genocide that uh, was it Biden that he was yeah that? Biden recently yeah because this was quite yeah so he um he I think he's the first American I think president there was a big to, deal about it, to yeah. publicly identify Ign- it as acknowledge that yeah and then I think Erdogan said then that he was going to acknowledge the genocide of the Native Americans which. Right. 
all, all, you know, all power to it. I mean, that is also a conversation that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not not as a tit for tat. It's yeah. you know, that's not a, a bludgeon to to hit someone over the head with. That's but I a think genuine it's issue. Probably quite indicative of what we're talking about, where Erdogan or however pronounce it um, has changed the narrative by just as I say, these kind of almost Trump esque like flippant sort of remarks. Um, I see Trump wishes he was Erdogan. Well, aye. I mean, Trump, Erdogan has exerted more mm-hmm. power over Turkey than Trump could have fucking dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, what is it? Eight years since the uh, attempted coup? Is it as long as that? I think it's twenty thirteen. I think. Do you was. actually think that Trump wanted power? Or did, I, I think Trump is just a fucking puppet. Like, I think he's just. You know, I don't think him personally really gave much of a shit about much of what was going on, you know. I think it was a publicity stunt that'll get out of hand. Uh-huh. Um but Well I think his um his um vanity propelled um, him. Was yeah. I've yeah. never seen vanity be such a powerful driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think two point oh might be <laughs> who knows I, who knows yeah. the next But it seems like he was an incompetent fascist well fashion no, i mean maybe not fascist but an, un- an incompetent authoritarian mm-hmm. what is the real problem with with the us and other countries is when do you get someone who's not as idiotic as, yeah. as yeah. him you know like the muslim ban you know there were that it, it um it lost the supreme court didn't it, i think uh, well there was yes, i mean if it wasn't that but another one of his yeah. big policies lost pretty bad at the yeah. supreme court but it wouldn't take a genius to reposition it slightly change how it's yeah. presented for it to go through the checks and balances. absolutely i would and that's a real worry and but again we're seeing that in belarus turkey philippines increasingly hungary in poland mm-hmm. you know when you've got weak rule of law when you've got no oversight mechanisms you don't have to be as you know the sort of bravado the loudness the as Trump did, because you can do it other ways Aye, and be silent power almost. Yeah. Um, mm. So I mean, on the the, the legislation thirty two things, it sounds as though the best we can hope for is almost some sort of patchwork that works for each individual company if they ever actually manage to even so much as define this information. Um, but there are some countries out there that do quite well, and and my reading and research before this, they all. Coincidentally, obviously, seem to share a border with Russia. Um, so um, I think there was, I can't, was it Vice or something? Was, I can't remember. But they were saying that there's a number of like Estonia and various other Eastern European countries that actually uh, handle media literacy and, you know, the sort of management of like, disinformation significantly better. But I think that's primarily because sharing a border with Russia means that their population are exposed to sort of massive amounts of it. Now, obviously, that's the kind of territory I, I feel that we're sort of moving into. Um, you touched on media literacy before. Like, I remember a time at school where we were told, like, you know, is that a reliable source? Mm. Is, is that now no longer a part of the conversation education or is, there, is it just that we need to now do significantly more? I don't know whether it's not part of the... I don't know any kids... Uh, so I have no direct Congratulations. knowledge of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, um, of the school, but I think the, the nature of because you know the, the, we would, I think someone mentioned that, you know this the sort of proliferation of 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 disinformation, you know social media blogging you know has trans- it has absolutely transformed how much information you engage with on a daily basis. So I think I think we need to look at this really really seriously. Like 
as, as, a, as a core part of the curriculum, not something that's like a done the week before summer holidays and you've run out of films to watch and stuff like that. Like this is, and but also like I we I I remember we had very little not to, uh, teaching about like how our parliaments worked, um, you know. And I I went to school back back in England, South England, so I knew fuck all what happened in Scotland, um, you know. So we, like this broader sort of civic knowledge as as well as things like interrogation of sources, you know, how you know how things are framed, what things to check, you know. And things that I think that's really, really important. I would say a more a far more healthy media media environment, media landscape. So we have genuinely independent corroboration of news stories. We have it's harder to then paint journalists as just being, you know, a propaganda machine or a corporate behemoth owned mm-hmm. owned by an offshore tycoon. That I think would make that conversation. And you'd also get a lot because what's really interesting, while support for journalism has dropped is not not you know it's still there support for local journalism is still ridiculously high but again they're the they're the journalism that's the journalism that's most at risk um so we need to see we need we actually need conversations about sustainable funding models things like that so i think all because uh, i think that will transform not right away but i think it will set the foundation for a healthier engagement with the information around us um and demystifying a lot of things like, you know, things like algorithmic transparency, um, algorithmic auditing. So we know more. We won't know everything because the majority of it's proprietary. And all these platforms are capitalist Goliaths. <laughs> um, Do you think that's part of the problem? I think, you know, I'm not I'm not saying for a socialist overtaking of Facebook, even though that'd be a hell of a news cycle. Um, <laughs> but we need to I, we need to identify the fact that their motivation is not the strengthening of democracy. Their motivation is not connecting the world. Mm-hmm. It's you know, these are you know, these are they have the, their their profits are more than the majority like a, a large chunk of the world. Um and so that we need to see, and you know, their responses to things is always reactive. So Facebook was highly culpable in the genocide in Myanmar, and it turns out I think they had like two or a very small number of moderators who spoke Burmese. Um, yeah. So what happened there? Because I think this is probably one of the ones that people will be like, I, "What the fuck are they talking about?" I think I seen one like, of these on um, it was John Oliver or something covered it, and it was. Aye, the spread out use Facebook Messenger yeah, to so spread Facebook. misinformation about racial minorities that has eventually led to a genocide. Yeah. Was it was it was it there where basically your access to the internet is Facebook? Basically Facebook as well, because we also need to look at this. A, a number of countries, the internet is Facebook. Yeah, because Facebook have done deals with telecom providers and the infrastructure of that country to provide low cost internet. Um, to the users. Um, it fell foul eventually, I think, of net neutrality laws because it wasn't giving you a, the uh, internet. It's also it was giving like you a the plan of the bad guy for, like, you know, the, the kind of yeah, movie, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, it's literally a Bond villain plan. Yeah. Like. Um, and then so Facebook was used to target Rohingya with, you know, this, and this wasn't, I would say, this is not even the complex grey area mm-hmm. of, like, explicit calls to arms to murder yeah. Rohingya. Um, and it got into a really weird, like, I was reading in this book, actually, which I recommend, I can't say this book because it's on radio, Gillian York's 
book, Silicon Values, is excellent on this whole conversation about sort of content moderation around hate speech and how it's been too focused on Europe and America. Global South have had no real input into how these rules yeah. are constructed. Um, so d to show how bad Facebook was, and, then, and but then once they got their knuckles wrapped, they started then trying to dial it up. Um, but things like, you know, this is where I think about context. So there's this word in my um, Burmese uh, called Kalar, I think it's K-A-L-A-R, which is used to target Rohingya. It's, it's used as a slur. Okay. And it has been used in explicit calls to violence aimed at Rohingya. Yeah. So Facebook banned the use of that word. The problem with Facebook's banning was that it was like a, again, it was reactive to negative press con content. So they just don't ban anything. The ban included ban uh, posts that commented on the banning of the word were banned. Okay. And also, I don't know Burmese. Kala is also a word, I'm not going to even say attempt the, f the full name because I will probably insult everyone. <laughs> um, but the Burmese word for vegetable and split pea soup includes the word kala as well as another vegetarian dish with chickpeas in, so which is meanings for that. So you have like recipe posts being taken down. Right. And so this is like, so this was Facebook responding very quickly, but badly. Um, and then it was taking it, it's taking all this other stuff. You know, you know, there is, the platforms have a role to play because like it or not, we use them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but we need to they need to be genuinely held to account in a more structural way they need to be looked at as having this you know whether it's you know whatever country you're operating in you need to have an adequate number of speakers of the language you know the content because you know the idea of like and then it's moving more and more towards automation because it's quick cheaper and quicker yeah mm -hmm. Um, as I know, but we'll learn, we'll learn, you know, our test data will expand. So our algorithms will get cleverer, yeah, but, but language, what happens if there's a genocide in between times? Yeah. But also right. la our language changes really quickly. And I think though, that's part of the education piece, right? Because there's the danger that by education, we mean, you know, Facebook put like a, a banner or a disclaimer on certain posts, but then these things happen in a reactive fashion. And then you don't see the unintended consequences as Nick was saying. But I think the other thing people need to understand about is the technical literacy about one, what algorithms can and can't do, mm -hmm. because I can't count the amount of conferences where I've sat and had very important people say, well, and like almost word for word, well, platforms can just, you know, fix this with, you know, algorithm, <laughs> machine learning and that work. And you, no, you, you don't understand that algorithms can't understand cultural context in yeah, that way. Yeah. Uh -huh. but, but Facebook are the main culprit in the current situation where because they react in a way that says, you know, any problem at all, they say, oh, we'll fix it. They don't like, they don't have a principled stand to say, well, actually, this is a big, bigger cultural issue and we mm -hmm. need to work out how to deal with this. As a society, we didn't, you know, kind of expect to be in this position, uh -huh. which Twitter historically did. Um, I don't really know anymore. But uh, so that's one of the issues where people run to, you know, again, say tech companies fix this mm -hmm. and don't quite consider, you know, like like you said earlier, like what happens when, you know, the people running the tech companies aren't necessarily, you know, on your political 
persuasion or you, there's so many variables there yeah. that once we set up these structures and mechanisms i mean like you see it all the time now on facebook where people try and share things even in scotland and because of the url it gets blocked and this is just something that people kind of post and laugh about now but that's like this is the main way people interact with each other yeah. and like which is terrifying in of itself uh -huh. but that's how the literacy <laughs> can't just be about you know um interpreting media but also mm. the limits of the technology yeah. and all those factors as well absolutely i mean I, I up until very very recently worked for a major uh, internet service provider and um at a conference maybe about four years ago i went up to the guy that's like the head of tech and said to him what's coming he said to me that basically what will be coming in the very near future is, is that everybody will have free access to the internet, but you'll buy packs, and one of the packs will be like the social media pack and the gaming pack. And well, they do that in Portugal. Yeah, yeah so already, uh, that, that, suppose what I was going to ask was, is that does that sound like a bad idea? Because what yes, they're doing yeah. is is putting internet behind a paywall. And, yeah. But they do that already to, to some regard. But what will that mean for things like you know not the big social media companies that are not included in these packs that bt virgin and sky plan to sell to their customers like are we just basically going to shut off the rest of the internet and it's just going I to mean, be they could try but mm -hmm. like i mean you can watch netflix canada and the uk it, there's any technical kind of limitation like that will be Somebody bypassed will find uh, i mean bypass. china for example mm. the great firewall of china people consistently find ways around that but i think the danger of that is that for people like my granda, mm. he isn't going to be able to yeah. do yeah. And so the questions of like polarization never become much more prominent because then, you know, what, you know, exactly what's included in this pack? Are you going to get the Daily Mail, you know, the Spectator, you know, access to 4chan perhaps, which is currently what people, you know, do anyway. So maybe there isn't even a huge difference in the content that people are consuming in that regard because they go on the web and they go to the places they want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think even without that, we've got a big problem of the segregation of people's uh, attention. Are we going to have like a two-tier system in the real world and online? Yeah, because that'll be like some people will be canny enough to know how to circumvent, others won't. And so then you'll have two-tiered system. I mean, Portugal does it because they have no net neutrality baseline, so that you can provide us. And this, your your engagement with the with the internet is still mediated through the providers. So you're still at the mercy of these. Very yeah, just the fact companies. that we can't get onto Pirate Bay, for instance. Yeah. You know, like yeah. they have websites that we can't access, so it does exist already. It yeah, but not necessarily. Like yeah, not, I, I, yeah, I guess not in the sort of packet yeah, ideas. But yeah, there's still stuff. Again, I mean, because it's like if a government doesn't like 4chan, for instance, they're like, well, that doesn't go in the pack. But you know, like that—that's the yeah. That. But I mean, in the UK, it would. I. It's arguably harder to do that. I would say the rule of law here is still, you know, and there is still currently. <laughs> This is gonna this is gonna age really badly. Um, <laughs> we'll get it quick. <laughs> ultimately, it, there, it's going to be very hard for that to be, you know, any meaningful attempts to to expand the idea of delisting or removing. I'd like that time stamped so I can come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, there'll be a bill announced tomorrow. Yeah. There'll be. There'll be <laughs> We won't even go home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Done it, like, fuck. So, um, yeah. Oh, sorry, on you. No, 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 I think it said, um, I sort of tend to do that a lot. Fair I enough. mean, they tried it, though, with the filters. Um, yeah. And they had some success. Uh, I can't even remember how long ago it was now, but mm -hmm. was it under David Cameron? 
That's yeah, what it was. Yeah, they brought out um, you know, that That's true, actually. child safe. You know, it was, it's always done under the auspices of protecting you, children. Was this the because I, I worked at the time the automatic child safety that was yeah. on, so that when you purchased broadband, you didn't get yes. access it. You couldn't access over eighteen material, yeah. and to actually get that lifted seemed it happens on your phone. Happens on your phone still. Um, if right. you sign up, you have to prove yep. that you're over eighteen. But the thing about that was that it later came out that it also included like the big list of stuff. It wasn't just you know over eight like. Alcohol, gambling, or something. Yeah. It was uh, esoteric content <laughs> that was listed in the. I can't remember if it was in statute or not. It's been a while, but mm-hmm. this was part of the stuff that the government was blocking access to. So it's not a theoretical. You know, these things have been implemented to some degree. I was in America, had my phone, and it was when, or maybe it was in Europe, where the you know mobile charges mm-hmm. not active at that point, and I tried to show my pal. Who I worked with something and it was my friend's blog ironically which we host uh, and it came up and it said oh you can't access this because it's an adult site and I was like oh fuck I'm not signing into that thing and my American pal he was like what what is that why can't you access that in your phone and I was like oh it's an ISP filler maybe like it blew his mind but here it's yet another thing you yeah, know. just accept and move yeah. on yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, protecting children some people don't even know some people probably don't even know. Yeah. It's because they only look at um, nice it's websites. The, PG <laughs> websites. But it's also this, it's the Helen Lovejoy thing, you know. Because we talk, I mean, you know, things like, I mean, end-to-end encryption is going to be the next thing. That's so that was getting this. talked about last week, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's, they've been talking about it for f- fucking years. Aye. And the G7 are talking about it. The Five Eyes are talking about it. It will be, it, I think there'll be some attempt and then they'll realise it's impossible because all of our online banking... Yeah. Um, online shopping depends on end, uh, end-to-end encryption. WhatsApp are not going to be very kind and develop a way where you can have end-to-end encrypted everywhere except for the UK unless we want to follow China's lead and geofence. Yeah. Um, but again, this is always said, like, the, this is also the problem with framing. And not just framing of the government, framing for some of the activists as well. Like, so they're pitting the right to privacy against the rights of children. But we're not talking about the rights to privacy of children. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the same human rights. You know, our human rights, we don't get them when we turn 18. We always have mm-hmm. them. Um, and they're not really meaningfully involved in the conversation. I used to do workshops in schools in Scotland around sort of surveillance policy. Right. Um, and it was a really interesting thing because it sort of feels like they're never really entered into the conversation. They're never actually talked to about this conversation. Whereas, they're, you know, I've got a cousin who's... Oh, how old are you now? 18. But like when he was 13, he was already like, just how much he knew about the, the technology just yeah. blew me away. But his entire life has been not just internet, it's been wireless. When he was really young, I played him the dial-up tone from an old... <laughs> and he li- I had to convince him, it took me ages to convince him that you couldn't use the internet if you someone was on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and he really thought I was pulling his leg. And, you know, and these, these kids are not being... In, in, incorporated into this discussion. Mm-hmm. So when I was talking, and you know, I, l- I learned so much ab- about their interests in surveillance. You know, a lot of them were very, to be to be honest, a lot of them are very like laissez-faire about the state. You know, they're so, they're accepted the state will surveil you, and it's like it's part of the the world they live in. They've all they were all born after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, their entire existence has been this heightened sense of fear around terrorism. 
I'm just then, stuck on a 13 year old who's lazy fail. <laughs> but like, but then when he talked, when I talked to them, I was, t- I was talking to them all about like, you know, f- um, was it f- uh, optic nerve or fiber optic, the GCHQ program that hacked every Yahoo user in the UK and took a photo off their camera every minute, I think it was, uh, which turns out, I think they may have the largest ap- collection of amateur pornography in the world because literally people walking past their laptops get changed or having cons- have a Yahoo. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got, he's got, he's got, they've got you. Um, or people, you know, having consensual sex via um, laptops and yeah. stuff. Um, and I, I was, I, this is, I thought that's, 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 that, that scares the fuck out of me. And they were sort of like, you know, because they are not because they didn't care, but because I guess they'd always been very, this is the world they were brought up in. And also kids have a very direct concept of surveillance. You know, for us, it may be the tech companies or GCHQ or whatever. For them, it's their parents or older siblings yeah. or teachers. So their surveillers are, and, you know, all surveillance is not bad. You know, parent parental care is, is a good thing. Um but they're, but then when I talk to them about the idea that what you post could be seen by a potential employer, they got really worried by that. Yeah. And that, that worries me because, you know, there's, you shouldn't have to worry, you shouldn't have to obscure yourself for an employer. Yeah. But I don't know whether that's the rhetoric around, you know, austerity, um, this sort of idea. I mean, we've, we've heard ministers talking about you go to education to become basically employable. Yeah, and that's been internalised so much that that any risk to an employ uh, to employment is uh, shocking. We're actually yeah. like self-censoring Marine right to free speech and yeah. expression because, and one day in the future, it may negatively impact us. Yeah, and that's really worrying. And, yeah. and you know, that shows like the 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 change of the internet in the past, like you know. I mean, I got was one of the first people in my school to get a modem. Right. High primary school, can't remember. Uh, it was 28k Motorola thing, AOL, and yeah, AOL. <laughs> there, I think there was one other person before me, or maybe two. But that was when I was oh God, twenty, so twenty something years ago, right? <laughs> but the internet has like massively changed. It used to be something. It was around Very interest much. groups, you know, like I mentioned, forums and stuff. People, geocities and aye, well, you would do your terrible website, your HTML blink tags and all that. But then it changed with Facebook and you know the way that facebook expanded and kind of consumed everything and that changed i mean judges and lawyers didn't know what the internet was like 15 years ago mm. they had no well maybe a bit longer there but yeah you get the idea and so as we come to kind of grips with the impact technology well the internet specifically has got on society then the role of it's going to change and i'm curious about uh you know when you when you grow up with the web as an all pervasive mm. thing, at what point, you know, does it, is there, is the future going to change the questions we're asking now in the sense of the internet won't be the kind of, so, you know, the, I would hope perhaps that we don't rely on the internet as our sole means of expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Because um, I think we did. And especially over the past year, because we've yeah. had no choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think as you come out of it, you realise, well, actually, I don't want to talk to my pal about politics on Twitter. I would rather go have a drink and, like, then you can see them and tell my shop you're being mm-hmm. an idiot, rather than, like, <laughs> do that online. And yeah. then the next thing you've got, like, uh, a lot of hate. I mean, I've, said, I've said so many times and, and during podcasts that, 
engaging with certain people on Twitter would be like walking down the street and engaging with a lunatic that's standing up with a Bible and screaming and it's yeah. like it's pointless and it you know that him. in real life yeah <laughs> you know that in real life that's it like you walk and we make like instantaneous judgments of people based on how they look how they're carrying themselves how they walk you don't get any of that on Twitter or that everybody's the same yeah. and you assume that you're dealing with a very stable and you know like educated person you could be in fact you could be speaking to a robot you can you know yeah. you're screaming into the void yeah. and it's like such a waste of energy I think that's part people, of what you know, like, is making the, the dissemination of the disinformation that we're talking about so easy um i put a question and we're obviously getting towards sort of wrapping up time um you touched on it just there um, we, we, how much worse has disinformation made the pandemic I, I would say worse because public health shit and medical shit is hard. It's mm. complicated. Mm-hmm. It's and it's not always perfect. You know, so much of science is trying to now you know, by by its design, it's not meaning it's failing. It's just you know, there's always going to be these processes. Some things to work, some things don't work. Um, you know, I have had friends who have fallen down the sort of anti-vax black hole, mm-hmm. and it starts off, and they're not sort of right wing or you know they were i would say ostensibly left wing sort of gen- and also some weird hippie sort of thing and you know when i was talking to him about it he's like oh yeah but these pharma companies are oh, the devil 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 you know and stuff i was like yes and, you know i agree with you the, the corporations behind so many of these are hugely problematic but sometimes they make good shit that works yes. yeah yeah and you know and then i was seeing some of the stuff that him and his friends were sharing it were these stories of someone who'd cured themselves of cancer by eating just lemongrass right one i think that's incredibly insulting to those who have you know who are, yeah. are um suffering it and then get uh-huh. um i mean there's this recent story i read today about this australian influencer who who had said that she had had cancer and she'd cured it through all just pure natural remedies and people who are following her one person who i think the bbc interviewed was following her had cancer and she was going through chemo and and you know chemo it, it's horrible i mean the yeah. treatment itself is so it, you know obviously it can kill the cancer but it, it leaves you it's, it's yeah. incredibly can kill the person as well yeah you know, yeah bad. and it's 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 you know and so she saw this person um looking very healthy very you know sort of stuff and she was in so much pain she basically stopped that and tried to then it came out recently that this woman never had cancer this this oh, influencer never had cancer yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a t- it was a pure fiction uh-huh. um steve jobs was a victim of that as well wasn't he I mean, it wasn't until very near the end that he got actual <laughs> medical like before that he was trying to do like you know water fasts and all yeah. sorts of mad shit but the thing is like there is a danger to, there's a real danger to it because it's so complex mm-hmm. and things like farm companies that like, yes you can dislike the corporate structure that be builds are yeah. Our medication. We can look at how unequally distributed it is across the globe, but that doesn't mean that you. Th- it's throwing the baby out of the bathwater. Like, doesn't mean you know, like drugs. You know, there are there are natural remedies for things that you know help build your mm-hmm. immune system. We have not found anything really that will cure cancer in the same way or things mm-hmm. like that. And it's disingenuous to suggest that just because they are problematic corporate processes that things there so they're i mean almost looked at in very similar terms to the way you were describing journalists in a sense where they're an overarching distrust it because they seem to exist in quite a large capacity but um, that's, that's why i think it's key though because i think that 
this information has definitely made the pandemic worse in mm -hmm. some regard. But I think the focus on disinformation is like missing the point because there's plenty of false, you know, statements and false misleading information to mm -hmm. avoid the, the loaded terms on websites that nobody looks at, right? I mean, you'll get complaints and legislation trying to target things that are wrong, mm -hmm. but nobody looks at them. So are, is that the problem? It's To me, it seems that the core problem is the amplification and the validation of how people feel already. And that makes it worse and it spreads to other people. But by tackling disinformation or fake news or whatever, we don't tackle the core kind of reasons mm. for people's distrust okay. in government. You know, why did people vote for Trump? It wasn't just they were scared of black people or they were scared of the other. Mm -hmm. yeah. that they already were and it might have been quipped Absolutely. up. But there was also plenty of places in middle America whose industries have been destroyed, yeah. who have been let down by politicians of generations. None of that was addressed. Trump promised them a way out. And of course, he didn't deliver it and never was going to. No. But we're, by focusing you know, myopically on disinformation, we, we are at risk of not addressing all this. I mean, you yeah. talked about it earlier, uh, yeah. lack of trust. And I think it's like, if we can, it sounds really sappy, if we can sort of strengthen our democratic processes and structures and institutions and the sort of civic space within which we can learn, disagree, all that stuff, if we can build genuine accountability and transparency toward like the corporate systems, political systems, the technological systems we work in, that will do more to tackle disinformation. You know, we're always going to get disinformation. You know, you're talking about military... So it's more a, a symptom rather yeah, than a cause. Yeah, yeah. I but we can, we, can maybe, we can maybe limit how disruptive it is. We can, we can stop the... It, it won't carry as much power when we have systems that we yeah. trust mm -hmm. are working for our interest and are responsive to our concerns and are accountable to us. I think that is something that these bills don't attempt to even come close to. I mean, we're talking about these bills. We have no idea what the legislative framework that the UK government will bring forward. I think it'll be something based on NetsDG. I mean, they tried to do NetsDG on hate speech. I don't know if they're still trying to do it. Whereas NetsDG in Germany, you have 24 hours to take down a post. I think, yeah. I think the UK were like, that's too long. Yeah, we'll do you know, like four hours like or six even, hours. Even nowadays, the fact that they take it down is confirmation that somehow it's real and that it's true do you know what i mean yeah like now and it's like well look they took it down why did they take yeah. it down yeah and, exactly and, yeah. you know it, it, and, and it comes back to the distrust and, and being exactly yeah. and being sensible yeah. filling these blanks with their own yeah. wants needs emotions but and that is the, bias. that's kind of what i mentioned earlier about the the danger of you know presenting an overlay or something like you know you go to click on something that says well, you know this may be you know unverified or whatever I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, well, fuck you, I'm going to bloody well read it, you know? Yeah. And the danger of the reaction against, you know, also removal is not the only legislative thing. Not everybody is looking for removal. The flip side of this is that there is a push, especially in the Republican side at the moment in the US, mm -hmm. to uh, stay up laws, which basically argue that they're a common carrier, that Facebook, et cetera, are common carriers, and that they can't moderate anything they have to leave up because they believe that there's a you know a bias against conservatives right and that comes with its own challenges and 
pretty huge flaws, but it's not just always about removal. And that I think that's important to say because yeah. it's, you know, people want to leave up information that might counter what they perceive to be misinformation. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting because it comes back to what you were saying earlier, like both exist at the same time because the left are being like, it's biased towards the right and the right are being, it's biased towards the left. And there's just a load of people yeah, in the middle. Just we going, started with fake news, aren't we? We're uh, both like, pointing at each other. Yeah, yeah, like the Spider-Man meme, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. load of people in the middle that just really don't know what to make it all yeah. through And, and, and that's worrying, because, you know, it is, it is really unfortunate, because, like, the people in the middle, you know, you know, so many people may, you know, may want support, may, may want help to, as to how to navigate this stuff. They hear about these headlines about disinformation, and, you know, they read about it, but it's, it's you know, and if we just look at these two the two, you know, yeah, like the Republicans' position, I think Republicans' position, if it ever came to fruition, well, one, it would destroy Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, like, that it wouldn't, they, they wouldn't, those social media well, platforms would not. Porn, spam, you can remove anything. Yeah, if you're exactly. Under I mean, and carrier, also, yeah. you were talking about child abuse imagery. Yeah. Like, we already exist in a world of censored, media, censored, if you want to call it that, or mediated content. Mm-hmm. And there's a level, generally, everyone has a level with which they're fine. Um, even the Republicans who are the state, state, uh, stay up orders, there's so much stuff they want to talk about. You know, they're also while at the same time talking about communist infiltration of education and critical race theory. Yeah. theory. So, you know, but so we already, and even ignoring that stuff, we're not seeing generally a great deal of child abuse imagery online. It, that's easily easy to find. We're not seeing very many beheading videos, you know. So there is, there I is. Am. Well, yeah, you are <laughs> every day. You're like, was it the sin eater? You're, 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 doing it. you're, you're seeing it all, so no one else has to. Um, you know, and then of course there's there's degrees beyond that where you know there's always going to be conversations as to whether this is acceptable, and ev- everyone has different. You know, me and Stephen have agreed. I've agreed with what, what Stephen's talked about, but if we were literally building a policy. I imagine there's probably a lot, a lot that we would disagree with on mm-hmm. where that policy, where the line would be. Mm. Um, I also think we need to have better conversations about freedom of expression. At the moment, it is just a stick to beat people around the head with. We need genuine, in-depth, complex conversations about freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. Most of the shit there is in the grey area, and it's really complicated. It's really inconsistent at times and it's hard to get your head around mm-hmm. and it will Im- mean that you may support things that you don't really support but for the basis of freedom of expression you see why it it's placed we need to have genuine conversations about it not part of this cultural narrative mm-hmm. not part of someone who's just trying to justify well i want to say the n-word you know we need to actually have genuine 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 conversations mm-hmm. about this um the one worry i always have freedom of expression it's always framed in terms of like case study uh, case law or or um, jurisprudence or things of like that precedence, mm-hmm. you know. So, like the um, the neo Nazis in oh gosh, what's that place? Not not Charlottesville, but previous one. So it was about um, neo Nazis marching yeah, through. torch guys. Yeah, but this was like in the sixties. I can't remember where it was. But yeah, so but we always talk about these the very fringe cases, the mm-hmm. real sort of like do neo Nazis have rights, free speech, white supremacists, you know, sort of stuff. And, you know, and that they're important conversations to be had. But, you know, we don't all live in a world of, like, case law. We're not always going to look at pushing that. You know, people who are not white supremacists, who, whose conversations about freedom of expression are a lot more straightforward, don't really see themselves included in the conversation because it's always, it's always framed on, on that. So 
while legally we need to have those conversations, but we need to be able to talk to on a personal level about how what this right means. Because mm-hmm. um, it collides with other rights all the time. Yeah. We're fine with defamation law, and that's a collision of freedom of expression to the right to privacy. And, but then, then it's all the nuances, all the details. And that's kind of the summation. It's like there, are, there isn't any, any good answers to any of it. Yeah. But I think the one good, you know, obvious thing that people need to take from any discussion about this is that you need to approach things with caution, including discussions about what to do about it. Right. Yeah. Because it's easy to say, well, you know, this is, it's easy to see something as bad mm-hmm. and call for it to be removed or call for something that is, you know, in your mind manifestly correct to remain. Uh-huh. But the complexity and the longer term impacts of that out with your own sphere is like incredibly difficult. Yeah. And, you know, outside of Facebook, then there's most companies and actors involved in things aren't looking to, well, I mean, Perhaps Cambridge Analytica. But yeah, there are lots of people Aye. involved in discussions that don't have, you know, completely vested interests. Aye, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff that we've touched on, data and, you know, these information, a lot of issues for very mundane, like corporate purposes that are absolutely no threat to us whatsoever. It's about the other side. I think, you know, having listened to you and, and, and getting about it tonight, like we maybe had. We maybe asked the wrong question, didn't we, about disinformation? It sounds as though we're probably going to need about four or five episodes now to go into all the other <laughs> various bits and bobs that we've, yes. uh, we've come to, but at least it has been an education in that regard. Just imagine how much fun we are in the pub. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that if, I nothing else, if nothing else, if people, you know, like that, that are listeners, you know, just to them to go, well, I this is so complex and it's not quite as simple mm-hmm. as just deleting shit off a of social media or getting Facebook to buck up their ideas or getting Mark Zuckerberg. It's like, it's like when I watch that, it's like, what the fuck does he know about? You know, what, that's, what's that, going that's on in one guy. guy started yeah. a website to get students laid. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're, you're expecting them to, to answer these questions that are like very complex and nuanced and he's just sitting there probably just shitting himself not yeah. why he got to jail you know but, but also like the takedown this rush to t- take down means that we've lost you know hours of evidence of war crimes in syria because a lot of that was uploaded to youtube because mm-hmm. there were no there weren't that many journalists there and it was easier for actors on the ground to film mm-hmm. they fell foul of youtube i think it was youtube's filtering and they've been Deleting literally deleted and that, and that could be used and you, I think there are lawyers who are saying that that would have been evidence that could have been used in a pending war crimes yeah. tribunal and things like that so the law needs to catch up pretty quickly here yeah and there's, there's been talk, there's been calls on you know if, if 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 you're deleting it just don't make it visible but have it in the background for researchers you know yeah. lawyers you know all that sort of stuff you know there are degrees to how you want to look at this you know they don't have to just Delete and literally then empty the the uh, the, the trash bin. Yeah, like and surprising that Google did that. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah, and it's that. a huge, huge issue. And again, it's because the safety conversation trumps everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's advertising revenue or educational rela- uh, relationships with big um, like school providers. The safety side is always a thing that that trumps and you know we need to actually say like you know i'm not saying kids should see beheading videos at all i'm not saying that but again other people would find that useful mm. and there's ways that you can 
provide that. Yeah. And maybe provide people on the ground a specific type of account that means that their content yeah. is not immediately uploaded for public consumption or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I am with you. Um, <clears throat> you getting else? No, man. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Me and too. I, I consider myself enlightened in Definitely. a lot, a lot of ways that even my focus on it is going to just shift straight away Definitely. to something that's not what I thought we were going to be talking about. You know? <laughs> no. we it might just be the heat in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These lights don't help, do they? Um, the Stephen, did I see you, you post something about an album this week? You were talking about music earlier on, so you want to get your plug in? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we do a lot of like you know music, music. acts and stuff. Yeah, that's one of. Our I, I make lots of music. I play in a band called Closet Organ. Closet Organ. Closet yes. Organ. Yeah, uh, you can read into that what you want. Um, <laughs> another band called Oh yeah, Hogwild with a Y. It was kind of like a churches situation, which there was another band called Hogwild in Edinburgh. Right. Really country music. <laughs> uh, so we had to change it subtly to a Y. Um, like churches in the V. You know? So how do people right. find you? SoundCloud. Oh yeah, we've. Oh, I am. Um, I should have thought about this, eh? We're on YouTube. We've no, got 10 subscribers. I've a curveball there because <laughs> I get I get 10 when, when we were booking the guests originally. I'd followed all the various accounts and he dug me out on Twitter for no following the, his organ band. So I thought, here's, oh, here's, here's your moment. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a jokey comment. So it was like, so here's your moment. Let's go with Aye, cool. Let's get Closet Organ out there. Twitter.com forward slash Closet Organ. It's a good name for a band. It's an exceptional name. But thanks very much for coming in, guys. It's been amazing to talk aye, to you. Aye, really. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks.